All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to light the last of the four Advent candles. Um, some wreaths, most wreaths actually, have a place for a white candle in the center, but that's to be lit on Christmas evening. Okay, the night. Christmas Eve. We call it Christmas Eve, but Eve actually means the, like the night before. So to get that last candle lit that we don't have up here, you, you've got to go to North Fork Christian Center tonight at 6. And <laughs> I already talked to him. He'll have it there. It'll be fine. Uh, so I'll, I'll light this last Advent, uh, Advent candle uh, where we remember the world is dark and Christ is the light. And as we get closer to Christmas and as we... The, the living saints on this earth today get closer to his second advent. We are closer to his return today than we were yesterday. It's that much brighter. The hope we hold is that much more, more firm as we anticipate and get closer to his return. Now, if you would uh, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. And I'll do the same. I'll start in verse 1 and read to verse 11. And then we'll spend our time focusing really just on three words in verse 11. (laughs) So I hope you like them. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, reads, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Already lost my place. Not a good sign. Verse 3. So did they. That's why they had to ask for directions. See, it's all just part of the thing. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Jesus, we come to you worshiping. We want to follow these wise men who fell down and worshiped. 
we offer you ourselves. We offer you our, our time and our attention and our affection and, and, and our lives, uh, knowing that we love you who loved us first. And really, as much as we, we give to you, we're doing this in response because you have given us yourself. And we pray that this would not be this would not be wasted on us, that your gift to us would lead us to bless your name and worship you well and walk in your light and your truth. I pray that you would establish this hope of meeting you in our hearts and that it would be based on this joy that we have in knowing you have come to dwell with us and you've given yourself to us. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, the gifts are what we're going to be really focusing on mostly today, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, but we also have these characters we got to talk about that are the, the present givers. I love presents. I love that we give presents at Christmas. Um, I, I think we have a biblical basis here to just get really excited about presents at Christmas because Jesus got presents for Christmas. Um, and and these, these men, they're called wise men. So if you give presents, I guess you're wise, maybe. I don't know. Um, these men, though, they're an interesting group of guys. They're called magi or wise men. These men are, are perhaps from Persia. In the Christmas carols, uh, they'll say they're from the Orient, uh, which it at one time just means east of here. So Orient is wherever east of where you're standing. Like everyone in the Midwest and further east, they're all from the Orient. Okay. Uh, eventually, of course, it, it came to mean like the Far East, which gives you kind of the wrong idea, actually, about where these guys were probably from. Uh, the Romans used this term, and it meant everything east of Rome, um, which is a lot. Uh, and uh, like I said, these men were possibly from Persia, modern-day Iran. Um, they were guided by a star to celebrate the birth of God's son. Um, an interesting note on these guys, a lot of people speculate, with good reason, that these men were students of students of students of students of the prophet Daniel who had lived in Persia and served God faithfully there for some, you know, 600 years before Christ. Daniel was a student of the scriptures and perhaps would have been, uh, you know, publicizing this idea of his coming Messiah. These wise men could have been aware of the scriptures and uh, numbers 24 verse 17. It says, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And these ideas of a star and a king are joined together all the way back in the books of Moses. The wise men come to Jesus when Jesus was uh, a young child, probably not an infant. Uh, the word in verse 8 that says child, it's not the same word that's usually used for like a newborn baby. Of course, we don't know how many of them there were, so we, we say three because there were, you know, three gifts and everything. Um, I'm not going to try and like debunk a Christmas carol or anything, but uh, as I mentioned before, we want to get the gifts. The gifts are the main part today. I want to talk about the gifts that these wise, wise men brought to the king of the Jews. These are clearly not gifts that were given at random. Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those are very particular, specific items. Can we agree that the stuff in the Bible is there for a reason? There are words that God wants us to know. He has graciously given us a book, and we ought to humbly receive it from him with the intent to learn from it. When you read the Bible, it's okay to ask questions like, why is that there? What's that about? And when you don't understand things, you ask the author questions about why he put those things in his book. When you get to Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, and you read gold, frankincense, and myrrh, asking, huh, is, is well-placed. You ask, what are those first, and why would that matter at all? So hopefully, 
you're asking those questions, and then hopefully I'll be able to answer some of them. What are these things? Why would you give them as a present to a little baby? Uh, most importantly, what do they have to say about Jesus? So let's just start one at a time. Let's start with the gold. What's gold? Shiny yellow metal. Move on. Let's go to frankincense. No, um, there's, there's probably more to it than that, I, I would think. Uh, for some reason, we all know that it's more than shiny yellow metal. It's treasure. Gold is treasure to be valued. The one who has a lot of it has power. I may not, it may not be the most rare metal on earth, but gold has been seen throughout history as the most precious of metals. Gold, it doesn't tarnish. It's rare. It's pure as an element. You can't reduce it to different metals. And when you, when you go through the Old Testament and you read those, those kind of boring parts about the tabernacle and the temple and everything, where the presence of God was revealed with the most potency, everything is covered with gold in those places. The inner sanctuary, it's all gold. The inner part of the, the, the temple where God reveals himself to his people, it's all gold. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat where sins are forgiven, it's covered with gold. Throughout the ages, in virtually all human cultures, gold speaks of royalty. Kings have gold. We see in the Old Testament, uh, again, that gold speaks of deity because our God is the king of kings. The tabernacle, the temple, right where God was, there's gold. And then the streets of heaven are paved with the same. And I'll come back to that in a second. So why is Jesus, the Christ child, given gold as a, as a child? Aside from gold just being an all-around good gift to receive, we really shouldn't ask the question about that because gold's fine. Anybody can give and receive gold and everyone will be grateful. I'm sure it'll just good for all your thank, you know, Christmas needs. Um, but the gold given to Jesus was a declaration of his royalty. Matthew, more than the other three Gospels, he pays careful attention to Christ as king. He presents Jesus as the king of the Jews who is descended from David, who spoke often of the kingdom of heaven. And it is Matthew alone who includes the story of the wise men searching for the child who was to be born king of the Jews. The first gift mentioned is gold, and it's not for a savings plan for Jesus, not for his college fund, right? He'll apprentice from, with his dad at the carpentry shop. It's not gold for retirement. He won't live long enough to need a retirement fund. It's gold with a message. You're the king. In the carol, We Three Kings, the second verse goes like this. Born a king in Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never over us all to reign. This gift of gold re received by the child Jesus is a gift that fulfills prophecy. In Psalm 72, verse 15, this, it's a psalm that speaks of God's care for the needy. And then it seems to take a shift and, and a turn to speak of one specific, important, needy person whose blood is precious in the sight of God. It's a psalm that looks forward to Jesus. And it says this in verse 15, Psalm 72, verse 15, And he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually and daily. He shall be praised. This is Jesus. The wise men were bringing gold to a king who was God, who was the Lord's anointed, who would be praised daily. Jesus' Christmas gift was also his birthday gift, which is lame for anyone that has birthdays around this time of year. But his Christmas gift was gold. Now, switch gears a little bit. Our Christmas gift is Jesus. That's why we celebrate, right? It's because we have been given Christ. 
And God gives us very much in that one gift of his son, doesn't he? God represents, or sorry, Jesus, he is the, the, the royal and the divine. And he has given us this gold in Christ. He has adopted us as sons and daughters into a royal family. That's your heritage now. You've been born again into this family, which means it's your spiritual DNA. In giving us the gift of salvation, God has made us kings. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. Revelation 5, verse 10. They both say you're kings. Born again as royalty. Remember, gold represents both royalty and deity. Does that mean we get to be gods too? Absolutely not. Nope, not even a little bit. But 1 Peter 1, 4 says that we are partakers of the divine nature. When you believe that Jesus took your sins on the cross, when you repent of them and follow him, you receive the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is God himself. This ought to be mind-blowing, just as Paul prays for the Ephesian church that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. And we say, that can't happen, but we pray for it anyway. Somehow, our finite selves can be temples for the gold that is the Holy Spirit. And of course, now even the metaphor of gold seems insufficient to describe the gift we have in salvation. 1 Peter 1.7 says that our faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. And you think that it's not perishable, right? It doesn't tarnish. Gold doesn't perish. It's an element. It stays there. It's like, well, Peter says everything burns up in the end, right? It says your salvation outlasts even the most stable elements of this existence. We'll be starting our study in 1 Peter after Christmas. So you consider these verses your preview Okay, first Peter coming to a church near you. But Jesus, he he received gold because he was both God and king and in Christ God gives us royalty and lets us partake in the divine nature. He fills us with his holy spirit. He gives us this salvation, this faith that is much more precious even than gold. Take joy in your salvation. And as you do remember, the God King who became man in order to give it to you and then look forward to casting your golden crowns before him. Look forward to the new Jerusalem with streets of gold. Look forward to the coming of the King. The next gift is uh, where in the minds of many, the presents start to go downhill in quality. Um, Jesus, he, he received this thing called frankincense, Uh, I'd much rather receive gold, but this was also something of great value. Frankincense, as you can guess from the name, it's incense, I guess made by a guy named Frank. Um, That's the best I can do. No, um, just kidding. It's it's dried. Uh, It comes from tree sap. It smells really good. Uh, There's a certain kind of tree that grows in the Arabian Peninsula, in India, parts of Africa. It... um, and, And in these places, people go to the tree and make long cuts in the bark. The tree would bleed out sap. And after a week or two, the syrupy sap would harden into crystals and would be harvested and used in the making of incense. Okay, and that's frankincense. So why do we go to the trouble? Um, you know, the only reason we can think to harvest tree sap is for maple syrup, right? But frankincense uh, was not to go on Jesus' pancakes. It's for something else. It's, it's, it's fine incense. That's where our word actually uh, comes from. It's an old French word. It just means fine incense. It's expensive, it's hard to come by, usually reserved for very special occasions. Uh, in other words, someone in the first century would have probably been more excited about receiving frankincense than someone in the 21st. But as with the gold, the gift of frankincense had worth beyond its resale value, right? 
gold was valuable because it was gold. Sure, there's an intrinsic value to gold. We know this, not by any economic principle, but because God uses it in all of his decorating. And I, I, as a note on gold, even though we're on frankincense now, I've heard people talk about how gold won't be worth anything in, in heaven, right? They use it for pavement. You walk all over it. It's just this, it's asphalt. That's entirely missing the point of the streets of gold. The point there is not that gold becomes worthless. It's that the mundane, even the sidewalks of heaven, become holy. You're in the sanctuary. You're in the holy of holies, even on the streets. Again, gold's value is shown to us in the fact that it was in the tabernacle where God dwelt. In a similar way, frankincense was valuable not only because it was rare or expensive or because it smelled good, but because of what it was used for. Frankincense was something that was in the temple always, always kept there for every sacrifice that the priest would make. In Exodus chapter 30, God tells Moses to make an incense for the priest to burn in the tabernacle every morning and every night. The main ingredient of that incense, you guessed it, frankincense. Whenever the priest would come into the presence of God, he would bring with him this smell of frankincense. Uh, the, the grain offering, which spoke of sinlessness, this fine grain without leaven, it was to have frankincense on it every time for this sweet-smelling aroma. When Nehemiah rebuilds the wall, he puts the temple back in order. It says in Nehemiah 13, Verse 9, Nehemiah's journal, his diary says, I brought back into the rooms the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Right worship smelled like frankincense. We're also starting Nehemiah at our midweek Bible study in January, so this is your second infomercial in this sermon. Come to Bible study. We'll start back that, that back up in January. Uh, priests smelled like frankincense. Worship smelled like frankincense. The offering of grain, which was holy, smelled of frankincense. So why give that to the child? Why give Jesus frankincense? To worship him, it says they bowed down and worshiped. Also to acknowledge that he is the one who brings perfect worship. He is our worship. He is our holiness. He is our great high priest who would worship on our behalf, not by offering the blood of bulls and goats, but his own sinless blood to make us a holy nation and pleasing to God. When the priest would come out of the tabernacle or the temple, he would smell of this perfume that was associated with the presence of God. When you think about that, Christ at his birth had come not from the throne room of God, but from the throne itself. And, and you know, like babies aren't in heaven waiting to be born. That's a silly theology the Mormons believe. But Jesus was different. He did exist before being born as a baby. He existed from eternity past as God of very God. Now, when the, when the grain offering in the tabernacle or the temple was offered with frankincense, it was offered pure, very fine flour, to represent purity, holiness, sinlessness. Jesus walked this earth as a sinless offering, pure and holy. Christ's perfect life was that sweet aroma of perfect worship. And when the priest would go into the tabernacle morning and night, he would bring that censer with the burning incense, that priestly perfume. Jesus, when he entered heaven after his ascension, became our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. He received gold because he is both God and king. He receives frankincense because he is both God and man and the mediator between the two. He is our great high priest and our intercessor. In the words of the song, it goes, Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him, God on high. 
this is about worship. Jesus received frankincense, and again, we receive Jesus. How much greater, how much better our Christmas present is Christ the Lord, but God gives us so much in this one person of a present. In Christ, we have access to God. We have Jesus the mediator. We have someone praying for us who is like us in every way like us, yet without sin. He's been tempted in every way as you are, but didn't fail. He is like God in his nature and perfection and like us in his humanity. But there's more. There's even more. In the light of our glorious salvation, frankincense reminds us that we are priests ourselves. Those verses I I cited earlier from Revelation 1.6 and 5.10, I didn't read them. I'll read them now. Revelation 1.6, he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Revelation 5 verse 10, He has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We see that in Christ we are welcomed to share the gold because gold has made us kings. We get to smell the frankincense because we, like our Jesus, have been made priests to his God and ours. We are allowed now just as God's only son. And and like the priests of the old covenant, anticipating in shadows and, and, and outlines, we get to now go boldly before the throne of grace. We are the most privileged of people who are allowed now to draw near to to God, armed with the confidence that he will then draw near to you. We can lift up our prayers to God and pray for those who are far from him. That's what priests do, after all. They would bring the people to God in their prayers. And just like the perfect life of Jesus was like a grain offering, the sweet-smelling aroma to God, we are now granted holiness. We are gifted holiness and are, as 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15 says, we are to God the fragrance of Christ. You smell. Merry Christmas. Ah, you smell great. I should have, I should have finished that sentence. We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Priests, Smell. And they, they not only go to God, but they go to people on behalf of God, bearing with them the aroma of heaven. We as priests are to be part of this light of the world, this city that is set on a hill. We are ambassadors for Christ, and we are to represent him to a dark, confused, lost, ignorant, hurting world. There's this great line from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, where the, the ghost of Jacob Marley is regretting his selfishness in life. And he says, why did I walk through roads of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Now the priestly gift of frankincense is a reminder that God has willed for man in his most desolate state to be reconciled to God. And as Paul says, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. We go to the world with the smell of heaven and say, come worship with us. And when we go into the world every day, we we will smell just like the priest did coming out of the tabernacle. They smelled like worship. Make sure you're worshiping your God so that when you're doing your thing and living your day to day, you will carry with you this aroma of his presence. And of course, the gift of frankincense, which, which is in the old covenant, would have brought to mind the very presence of God. It can lead us to desire being taken into the presence of God today. And when we are 
finally separated from these bodies and further clothed, as Paul says. We'll inhale with new nostrils. And what do you think you'll smell? Smells bring back memories more than any other sense, right? You, have you ever thought that you're going to smell heaven? It won't be you know, sterile. It won't smell like nothing. You have to believe that we're going to experience heaven with at least all five of our senses. Almost certainly more than just these five, right? Desire that. Put heaven on your wish list. Set your mind on heaven where you, like the priests of old, will go before the very throne of God. With your eyes you will see God. You will be like him, for you will see him as he is. You will be washed and welcomed, clothed and cared for. And we'll smell great. As Jesus received gold as the king of kings and God of very God, we receive royal status and partakers of the divine nature and get to look forward to a city with streets of gold. As Jesus received frankincense as the perfect priest, as our great high priest, we receive the office of under priest. We are allowed to receive the holiness of Christ and get to look forward to being freed not only from the consequences or the power of sin, but even the presence of it. We get to go to God. The air is different there. We'll breathe deeply. Lastly, there's myrrh. There's one more gift that was given to the Christ child. The first thing you need to know about myrrh is that it is really hard to spell. It's got this H at the end of it and just hanging there. And the only vowel is Y. And you, you say, it's for Y. I think that's why it's there. It's a weird word. But myrrh, it's very similar to frankincense. It's also made from drying the sap of a tree. It's, a darker, it's darker in color and symbolism, actually, than frankincense. Um, myrrh is is also used as, as a perfume, but it usually goes beyond that purpose. Myrrh was used for two other things, medicine and embalming. Actually, myrrh is still used in medicine today. Compounds from myrrh are common ingredients in toothpaste, mouthwashes, prevent gum disease. It's a great thing. Very effective antiseptic. Uh, myrrh, when dissolved, uh, usually in, in alcohol, was used as a powerful painkiller. It's offered to Jesus on the cross and he refuses to take it. That's in Mark chapter 15, 23. Now, none of these statements I'm about to make have been approved by the FDA, but it is also known in other places, in the Middle East, myrrh can lower uh, and balance blood glucose. Uh, studies have shown myrrh to be effective treatment for diabetic rats. If you have any diabetic rats, you might want to get some. Um, then your Christmas is different than mine. That's what. Myrrh, uh, it has a positive effect on bad cholesterol. It elevates good cholesterol. Uh, it's been shown to kill cancer cells in the laboratory. Wow, that this is great, right? Cures cancer and diabetes, lowers your cholesterol, and you can brush your teeth with it too. That's what a great Christmas present. But it's, it's a medicine, okay? Myrrh is a medicine. Why would baby Jesus want medicine? Or better question, why would God have us know that his son, who he is giving to us, would receive myrrh, of all things, along with his gold and frankincense? Two reasons, at least. Jesus would heal and Jesus would be weak. When God put on flesh and became Jesus, son of Mary, he took on a body just like yours. Jesus scraped his knee as a kid. You should probably put some myrrh on that scratch. Jesus got a cold. Jesus got the flu. He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. His heart breaks like your heart breaks. But Jesus, who knows our weakness, is also Jesus who heals us. Jesus was and is a healer. You guys are experts in Malachi now, so this verse should be really familiar. And we sang it in one of the Christmas carols today. But Malachi 4, verse 2, last chapter in the Old Testament, makes this prophecy. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. 
The Messiah would come healing, making blind to see, lame to walk, deaf to hear, hopeless to have hope. The gift of myrrh shows us that Jesus was like us in our weakness, but for us in his power to heal. Myrrh was and is medicine, but that's not all it does. That's not all it is. Myrrh wasn't just for the sick. It was for the dead. Uh, The Egyptians, who are kind of, you know, the world-class experts at embalming, um, you know, they used a lot of myrrh in that process. Even by the time of Jesus, myrrh was used to anoint the dead bodies to keep down the smell and slow the decay after the death of Christ. The secret disciples come, come public with their confession, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And they, they go public with their faith by treating the body of Jesus with respect and anointing it with myrrh and aloes. John 19.39, I'll just read the verse. It says, And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Jesus refused the myrrh on the cross, and his body accepted it in the grave. And in doing so, Jesus fulfilled another Old Testament prophecy, Psalm 45, verse 8. It's it's a psalm to the king, and it says, All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Myrrh is the only gift that Jesus receives at his birth and his death. We sing about it in We Three Kings. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume. Breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. The reason for the baby Jesus to receive myrrh is is clear to us now. It's not only because myrrh is medicine and Jesus would be a healer. It's not only that Jesus would be fully man and and in need of of, medicine, perhaps, but that myrrh is for the dead. And Jesus was born to die. Not only is Jesus God and King, not only is Jesus our great high priest, Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. His birthday present of myrrh was a gift that casts a shadow across his entire life. Myrrh is about death. Let me ask you something. Is that what Christmas is about to you? May I suggest that perhaps some of it should be. If your Christmas has lost the cross, then your Christmas has lost Christ Jesus came to die. To celebrate Christmas without that in mind, to think that the baby in the nativity scene is the whole of the gift, that's short-sighted. There's a reason why Advent is a Lenten season. The celebration starts tomorrow in earnest. The 12 days of Christmas, if you're looking at all those presents, starts tomorrow. Leading up to Christmas is a time of myrrh. The man on the cross is the gift. Now, with all three gifts, we see that Jesus received them as they said something true about himself. He's king. He's God. He's holy. He's this priest. He's a healer. He is the one who suffers for us. He's the sacrifice. In Christ, we receive each gift because we receive Christ. In one way or another, these things are for you. We've become partakers of the divine nature. We have a faith more precious than gold. We've been adopted into a royal family and also made priests instead of Frankincense, or in fulfillment of what frankincense represents, we receive a priesthood. We're priests to God who get to draw near, who minister in our our ministry of reconciliation in this world. And we're also given myrrh. We are given weakness that we can boast in, in which God's strength is made perfect. His grace is sufficient for you. 
We are given the myrrh as medicine. We are told to care for the sick just as Jesus did. We are given the myrrh of suffering, knowing that as long as we live here, we are going to be putting to death our sins, the flesh, and the works of the devil. Now, Philippians 1.29, it contains one of the promises of the Bible that people aren't too quick to claim for themselves and put on a coffee mug. It says, for to you it has been granted, gifted, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We have been given in Christ the gift of suffering that means something. Now, we're not in a culture yet where Christians are killed for their faith. That doesn't happen where we live. Though we are the minority in that regard, the 20th century saw more Christians martyred than all other centuries combined. The fear of martyrdom isn't something that is pressing on us from day to day, although we ought to seek to suffer with those of our family who are suffering. Remember those who are in chains. But even without that kind of suffering, even with all our first world comforts, we cannot escape pain. We do suffer, and God allows it and wastes nothing. I can confidently say that unless you're dead, you're not done suffering. That will continue until we die and wake up in the presence of God. I cannot say what yours will be or what the purpose of it is. It would be petty and trite of me to pretend to know the mind of God in your suffering. Job never got his answers, right? He asked a lot of questions, and at the end, he doesn't get the answers of, of why do bad things happen. But he did know this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He knew this when his wife told him to curse God and die. He said, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? Christ, our example, accepted the gift of gold. He has been given all authority on heaven and earth. He is the king of kings. He has accepted the gift of frankincense. He is our priest and even now ever lives to make intercession for us. He has accepted the gift of myrrh. He drank from a bitter cup even while praying, not my will, but yours be done. My encouragement to you is, is, is this, accept all that God gives you in Christ. All his gifts are good. Are good. Take the gold, part, be partakers of the divine nature and salvation, be born again into that royal family. His life is better than yours, take it. It's a good offer to replace yours with his. Take the frankincense, it's his holiness that makes you acceptable to God, not your works. You smell good to God because you smell like Jesus. And you can go to God as a priest because Christ's righteousness is on you. Take the myrrh, take up your cross, and follow the one who's given the invitation to do so. Suffer well. His strength is made perfect in this weakness he's gifted you. Take these gifts so that you can better look forward to seeing the real king face to face. Remember in Advent, we're cultivating this sense of hope, this anticipation. Myrrh will make you hungry for the kingdom of God much more than gold will. You can look forward to being freed from the presence of sin and in the presence of God. You can look forward to the end of suffering when every tear is wiped away. This morning, you sang these lines. You sang, led by the light of faith serenely beaming. With glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here came the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger in all our trials, born to be our friend. The king of kings, our great high priest and our perfect sacrifice, has come to offer you his friendship.
Oh, come, let us adore him and let every heart prepare him room. Let's pray. Jesus, our Christ, our Savior, our King, our Priest, and our the one we love, our friend, we come to you to receive this offer of friendship that you've extended to us. We come to rejoice in the good things that you have received and the good things that you give, the life that you share with us. I pray that you would bless each one here, bless your church here in North Fork, bless us with a keen awareness of the presence that is here for us now, and also a keen appetite for your coming in the future. We pray, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Church, you are sent. Merry Christmas.